You're listening to the Beatbox and Be Frank show, and after a couple weeks of it looking like top four was going to be preset, you're finally thrown into some chaos this past weekend. Three out of the top four struggled mightily. Two ended up losing. I mean, you start with the number one team in the playoff rankings, the Georgia Bulldogs, taking on uh, one of the for some reason, favorites of this show, the Auburn Tigers, and <laughs> just finally got his big win in yeah, emphatic fashion. This fucking guy. Every time I pick against him, he'll win. Anytime I pick with him, he just shoots me just directly in the face. Uh, a dominating win. I mean, this is kind of goes back to uh, what we talked about in week one with the Clemson game. This is a good defense, probably one of the best in the country, and they can shut down uh, teams in a multitude of ways. But they just have seemed to struggle scoring, and this week they finally got it going. Carry on Johnson is an absolute monster. Even without Cameron Petway, he was able to carry it 32 times for 167 yards. And Stidham's finally like gotten into a groove where he's able to consistently give them uh, production from the quarterback position, which is what they've been needing since Nick Marshall was in town. Yeah, and I mean, just all all facets of this game were working for Auburn. Kind of thought it would go in a different direction. First possession of the game, Georgia marched down the field, scored relatively easily. Thought it might be kind of that way, but you said it. Carrion Johnson, great workhorse performance. Sit him with solid three touchdowns through the air. But the biggest thing really was the defense coming to play, shutting down the two-headed monster of, Chubb and Michelle, 20 carries, 48 yards, really set the tone for, you know, everything that Auburn wanted to do. And from Auburn's perspective, this really makes the LSU loss even more head-scratching because you, you throw that away, you've got a narrow loss on the road at Clemson, and this is, I would say, inarguably a top-four playoff team right now. But because of that, they're on the outside looking in. And I would say we have a lot of two-loss teams that are looking in pretty good shape. Auburn would be foremost in that group. I think this might be the year that a two-loss team does end up getting in. But, I mean, this is how good Auburn can be, and I think we have kind of been waiting for this all all year long. Um, but now because of some things, they're, they're on the outside looking in. Important to note, obviously, still can play Alabama. Um, if they're able to win that game, I think – that would you would have to think that would bump them into the top four. Right, and it's just frustrating, essentially, for a faux Auburn fan like myself, where I don't, I, I can't describe how I got into this mess, but I'm in, it, I'm in it, I'm in the thick of it, and this is where I am. But just don't blow the twenty point lead you have against LSU, and right now you're, you're, I would say a better team than Miami is easily. So. I think that puts you in the top four right there. You've got a date with Bama to, to decide the SEC West, and then if you win that, you got another chance at uh, Georgia to beat them again. So it's head-scratching is a great way to put it because it's just when this team puts it together, they're so good. And if you look at that LSU game, they looked like they were about to cruise to a 40 nothing win. Like They were dominant early in that first half, and then everything fell apart. Yeah, I think there's not really any question that Auburn is better, more talented team than LSU, but you know, they just weren't able to put them away. And 
despite having two losses, I think Auburn's still very much a team that controls their own destiny because yeah. if they went out, like you said, on top of Alabama, they would have another shot at Georgia. If they went out the rest of the way, basically, there would pretty much be, be riots all across the state of Alabama if they were left off. But right now, I don't think anyone could really justify putting them in the top four. But we can, of course, get to that later. Uh, speaking of Miami, a couple weeks ago, Canes really didn't have anything on their resume besides a bunch of close calls. Dominated Virginia Tech a week ago, and then Saturday dominated Notre Dame, um, all stemming from the defense. And finally, after weeks of actually really the whole season of skating by on Brandon Wimbush not really being a good passer, finally, finally came back to bite Notre Dame. Yeah, 10 of 21, two interceptions. Uh, also important to note that Ian Book threw six passes. One of them was a touchdown for Miami. So. Not a great day for him either. It's just Notre Dame couldn't get the run game going, and they found themselves in such a big hole so early that they had to start passing the ball, and that's just not what this offense is built to do. The defense was put in some tough situations, and it's not like Miami's offense really beat them. It was straight. The Canes' defense just came to play. I mean, that's what it was. Yeah, a lot of it was damage control for Notre Dame's defense because it was just a lot of dealing with short fields. Um, Malik Rozier didn't really put up huge numbers, but just a beneficiary all day of, you know, interceptions and, and the one fumble. And Notre Dame on the day, Josh Adams only managed 40 yards on the ground, 109 yards as a team. It took 36 carries, so just getting three yards a pop. That is, for some teams, that would be an okay day. For Notre Dame, that's horrific because yeah. they're used to cranking out over 300 yards a game on the ground and just chunk yardage usually. Adams is usually good for a couple of 20, 30-yard runs per game and at minimum usually seems like he's biting off six, seven yards of carry and that puts the offense into second and short, third and short, really have the whole playbook at their disposal. But against Miami, getting stuffed on first and second down, turning into obvious passing situations, and Manny Diaz, Miami's defensive coordinator, just was able to put pressure on Wimbush and just they were sitting on everything. And Ian Book came in, didn't really look too sure of himself after a couple good completions to start. You started to think maybe they could get a score before halftime, maybe start to swing things into starting to come back for the second half, but just completely telegraphed pick six on a slant right before the half, and just that was the game right there for Miami. Yeah, I mean, it's not a good time for Notre Dame to play collectively their worst game of football this season. I mean, that that's just how it works sometimes, though. You know, you, you get you get one shot, and if you don't play well, you, you don't play well. But now Miami has a little bit of validation behind that undefeated record, and it uh, should be interesting to see how they close out the year. And Alabama almost joined those two teams. We almost saw the top three teams in America fall, but they were able to scratch and claw their way to two late touchdowns to eke out a seven-point win over Mississippi State. Um, we were very high on Mississippi State 
early in the season when they blew out LSU. Then they seemed to struggle for a little bit. I mean, even coming into this game, they were a, they were a top 20 team, just very, very quiet. And, I mean, their, their hype from early in the season, I guess you could say, and their ranking is, is pretty well-deserved. So they give Alabama everything they can handle. Yeah, and again, it's Nick Fitzgerald just needs to be a little more consistent offensively. This is a good defense. I mean, they they're able to hang with most of the SEC, and they they really force Alabama into some tough situations. That you know, some some days Bama. I mean, it's a coin flip whether or not Bama wins that game every time. With you know the scenario they were put in, the the biggest thing is just how you can pick and place whoever the hell you want in that Alabama offense, and they're still going to put up 31 points on a bad day. Jalen Hurts didn't throw a touchdown pass until the final minute of the game, and it turned out to be the winner, obviously. But they've got four guys running the ball. Three of them ran for touchdowns. It's just outrageous how you can just pick and place whoever the hell you want, and and next thing you know, they're going to produce for you. Yeah, uh, Eris Williams from Mississippi State. Had a good game running the ball. is really as good a game as you can hope to have against that Alabama defense. Um, but ultimately, Alabama's got three or four guys at every position. You've got one great one. Alabama's depth is going to win out. And they were just barely able to um, before they ran out of time. And pretty clear-cut number one, Alabama, I would say. Yeah. Um, there was some debate the last couple weeks whether that was Georgia or Alabama, um, but right now Alabama's got a pretty good hold on that. Obviously, still have to play Auburn and Georgia um, before the end of their season um, before getting to the playoffs. So still some pitfalls ahead, but they seem like they're in as good a shape as, as pretty much anybody going forward. Right. A uh, couple other games from last week with direct playoff implications. Want to start out with Wisconsin. I've somehow become the Badgers stand for the site. Uh, I've got them at number two this week in my rankings, and this is the game that pretty much point to as direct proof. If anybody's going to question that, thirty-eight fourteen over Iowa. They handed Iowa two touchdowns on pick sixes, and they were still able to dominate this much. Iowa gained 66 yards of total offense. Um, Jonathan Taylor almost got three times that all by himself on the ground. This is just textbook Wisconsin football running game and just suffocating defense once again. I mean, Iowa came to play in the typical fashion that we expect in Iowa-Wisconsin game. It's just Wisconsin didn't get the memo because – they put up the 38 points instead of the 17 we would have expected. Uh, Nate Stanley had an awful day, just truly terrible. Eight for 24 for 41 yards and a pick. Like you said, Iowa's offense could do nothing. And then Jonathan Taylor is just a, another in a line of great Wisconsin running backs. And it's just going to be ridiculous to see him continue throughout this season and obviously next year. Hordy Bro- like. This is the problem with Wisconsin and Michigan is terrible quarterback play. Hornybrook was not good at all on Saturday. He had three interceptions or two, three interceptions on 18 pass attempts. 
First off, why is he throwing the ball 18 times? Let him let him toss it 12 times. Give him the Mitch Trubisky treatment. Let him throw it 12, 10 times. Run the ball about a thousand. You're not gonna. I was not gonna stop you. When you see the run working this well, when Taylor's got 29 carries for 157 yards, give the backups a couple carries because they're just as good. So, I like Wisconsin. I have them at number six in my poll that never gets published, but. They are, I think, they're a blowout of Michigan away from really getting some recognition, despite the fact that the Wolverines are kind of floundering. But it's just, you know, every time you look at Wisconsin's schedule, people say, oh, they haven't played anybody. Oh, they haven't played anybody. Well, this, like you said, gives them a little validation. I mean, Wisconsin's basically Notre Dame with a better defense. They've got a quarterback who's not going to be easy through the air. They've got a dominating run game. For much of the season, I think this performance against Iowa is especially important because it's coming on the heels of Iowa's utter destruction of Ohio State, somebody who we can point to usually, and I guess we'll, we will again when we talk about Ohio State's game against Michigan State, as having a good to great defense on the NFL prospects there. Nate Stanley tosses five touchdowns against them last week and then follows it up with this performance against Wisconsin's defense. I think that just speaks to the, the talent level and how Wisconsin's been playing, even though they've been without their best player um, all season long. But again, they'll have to keep winning, obviously, anything short of 12-0, and uh, really 13-0 and to win the Big Ten Championship. I don't think people are going to give them much respect, um, you know, outside of myself. But... <laughs> That's kind of where they're stuck right now. Uh, one of their big obstacles right now is Oklahoma, who just continued to roll in the Big 12. Um, Baker Mayfield getting a ton of press, deservedly so, through another three touchdowns, 333 yards in this one. But Rodney Anderson has been a revelation in the backfield yeah. after uh, Mixon and Pirine left. Kind of some question marks there, but... Massive game for him, 290 yards from scrimmage, four touchdowns as Oklahoma dominated TCU, and they are all alone now in first place in the Big 12. Yeah, just a a really impressive performance because, as we've talked about week in and week out, TCU is the best defense in the Big 12, and I don't think it's close at all. So 38 points, even if it is at home for Oklahoma, is wildly impressive. Like you said, Rodney Anderson was spectacular. Five catches for 139 yards is and it's a difference maker everywhere you can cut it. You know it's D.D. Westbrook numbers from last year, and that's what they've been missing. So if he can help them out out of the backfield like that, this is going to be a dangerous Oklahoma team because Baker Mayfield is probably the hottest quarterback in the country right now. Yeah, absolutely, and and they deserve they delivered knockout blow right away. Um, yeah. There's 38 points in the first half and. I mean, that's that's as good a performance as you're going to see against that TCU defense that's been so strong against the likes of Oklahoma State and all the other dynamic video game-esque offenses in the Big 12. And now there's kind of a logjam in second place to see who's going to play Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. And obviously we understand the rationale. Um, Big 12 kind of feels like 
it's been getting left out in the cold by not having a conference championship game, but I mean, this year is the year it really feels like that's going to come back to bite them. Yep. Um, and the other the other game from last week, Iowa State almost pulling off another um, upset. They sure they sure, they sure started out like they were going to, um, but Mason Rudolph, Justice Hill, one-two punch for Oklahoma State. They're able to eke out a 49-42 win. Oklahoma State is one of those teams at five and two in the Big 12, along with TCU and West Virginia, um, gunning for that Big 12 title game slot across from Oklahoma. And I mean, so far so good. You, out of out of those three teams, who do you think would have the the best chance in round two of unseating Oklahoma? Based on how everything is going right now, I think it's got to be Oklahoma State. The defense hasn't been great, which we know. But if there's anyone that can keep up with that Oklahoma offense, it's the Cowboys. Mason Rudolph keeps finding ways to win despite his coach trying to give games away like this week. Um, But, yeah, I I mean, TCU, you, you you play a team twice, it's tough to beat them. I know TC, or I think TCU would play a better game than they did this week, and I just don't have faith in that West Virginia defense at all. They've put way too much pressure on Will Greer to make plays, which he is capable of, but at the same time, don't trust that defense to get a stop. So I think it would have to be Oklahoma State would be the only team to really have a shot at beating the Sooners. Yeah, and if they did play again, I mean – you can't set the over high enough, the over under high enough, because it's basically like tennis. Like whoever can break serve, and last game it was obviously Oklahoma. They're able to get out of there with win, but that's that's how that game would have to go. Um, yeah. Big Twelve right now, should Oklahoma trip up again, in danger of getting shut out of the college football playoff entirely. Conferences across the Power Five really caught a break. Notre Dame losing. Because obviously they don't have conference affiliation in Georgia as well, because now looking less and less likely that the SEC could get two teams in there. Of course, we talked about Auburn; they could work their way back up there. One thing for sure, though, um, seemingly right now, is the Pac-12 will be out. Um, Stanford made sure of that on Friday night. Washington was just kind of lurking in the top ten. Not a super impressive resume, uh, but just one loss on the year. But now it's turned into two. Stanford taking that one 30 to 22 and still my pick for, um, well, I guess at this point, runner up in the Heisman to Baker Mayfield, Bryce Love, best running back in America, I guess I should say. Um, 166 yards, three touchdowns, just utter domination against the defense that came in, uh, top ranked in the country. So good run last year for Washington, making the playoff and Almost making things interesting with Alabama for a half, but right now just the conference just beat itself up too much. Yeah, it's – I mean, obviously John Ross is a, is a big loss for that Washington offense, but they still brought back Browning, who is one of the best quarterbacks in terms of protecting the ball. He doesn't turn it over ever and is typically one of the more accurate court passers in the country. And then – Miles Gaskin's a really good running back who came back again from last season. 
for whatever reason, though, that defense just couldn't get it together. They had a really good secondary last year, lost a couple guys, but still, I mean, with the Pac-12 the way it is, it wasn't great football they played this year, but they're, obviously there are good offenses out there. I'm just stunned at how quietly Washington came and went. Yeah, I mean, because they were always right there, too. It's not like yeah. this was a, a huge plummet from last year. They were still on the scene, just not as as loudly as they had come on last year. And really, ironically, the game that announced their arrival last year was their complete and utter destruction of Stanford and yeah. Christian McCaffrey. Um, but, I mean, very circular. That's how they're repeat attempts to make it back to the playoff will end this year. Um, and lastly, from last week, Ohio State, Michigan State, many, many tweets that did not age well about this 16-and-a-half-point <laughs> line. Yep. Ohio State covered and then some. Final margin was 45 points. Um, JT Barrett, four total touchdowns. Mike Weber, 162 yards, two touchdowns. Kind of wonder where any of this was last week in Iowa City, as we could be talking about a very different situation with Ohio State than we are now. Right. I mean, this was for the Big Ten East title, so it should be Ohio State-Wisconsin in the Big, Te- Big Ten Championship. Uh, good to know now so that we can, you know, get our prep ready for it, but JT Barrett, even in blowouts, just cannot seem to keep a clean stat line. He had two more interceptions, 14 to 21 passing, which is nice. 183 yards, I think, two touchdowns, ran for two as well. Like, just just take care of the ball. You're like a ninth-year senior. You should be able to keep the ball out of defense's hands. Um, that's my only gripe with this. I think J.K. Dobbins is still one of the best running backs in the country. I think Mike Weber is... For whatever reason, an underrated playmaker because teams are forgetting about him because of his quarterback's inconsistencies this year. But this defense is so good, and I feel for Brian Lewerke. That's his first name, right, Brian? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was on such a roll, I just forgot it. But <laughs> I feel I feel for Lewerke. He, he's been so good these last couple weeks and just did not have a great game in the horseshoe. So. Good to see Michigan State fighting around, hanging around, but uh, thanks for playing. Yeah, they. Uh, I think Michigan State overachieved this year, and Lorke is only a sophomore, so good to know the talent that they're working with the quarterback going forward, yeah. kind of making up for, for last year's seemingly drastic underachieving. Um, so going forward, they'll probably still be the same solid 8-10 to 10 win team under D'Antonio, um, that he's created up there in East Lansing. So the last two weeks have had pretty loaded slates, and we kind of get a bit of a break this week. There's only one ranked matchup. Uh, we've alluded to it already. Michigan coming to Camp Randall to take on Wisconsin. Very similar-looking teams you alluded to. Um, shaky quarterback play, dominating defenses for Michigan, made the switch over to Brandon Peters, had pretty good results. Um, big part of that is Jim Harbaugh has gone very run heavy. Um, he's 
only thrown the ball about 20 times a game. And that paid off last week, dominating win at Maryland. Wisconsin wins this. I think they can vault into the top four for people outside of myself. Do you think they'll be able to get it done at home? Yeah, I think this is going to be a very similar game to the Iowa game this week. I expect double-digit win at least. Um, it's one of those things where Michigan just can't get the quarterback play. They're putting way too much pressure on the defense, and Wisconsin is totally content at home to just run the ball and control the clock. So there's no reason to go against what's gotten you here. Hornybrook is better than any of the options Michigan has at quarterback, so I think that also uh, is definitely a factor in this whole thing. So I'm going to take Wisconsin by at least double digits. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, I think offensively for Wisconsin, really nothing they have to do outside of, like, screens, slants, and uh, short passes to Fumigali is a really huge weapon to have in that offense, and they really don't have to do anything outside of, like, West Coast stuff. Um, But for Jonathan Taylor, best defense he's gone up against, if he struggles at all, that will really flip the entire feel of this game. Um, Because Michigan's defense is much better than Iowa's, and obviously Wisconsin hasn't played the greatest of schedules, so better than anyone that they've faced up to this point, but I think Wisconsin's defense is going to be more than up to the task of slowing down Michigan. I think this will have the the scoreline we were expecting from last week, something in the, the 13 to 10 range. But I think Wisconsin will be able to pull this one out. So college basketball has started um, for most of the teams. Indiana actually is playing their season opener right now as we're recording this against Howard. Um, so good luck to them. They were up at halftime last I saw, um, shooting four for 14th in the free throw stretch. So good, good moves all around. Um, Champions Classic is incredibly, it seems like it's always two matchups between top five teams every single year, um, in the, the great city of Chicago. This year it's no exception. You got one versus two, four versus five, uh, despite five struggling mightily in the early going against two. Yeah. Should be should be overmatched teams. Vermont, obviously, a pretty good mid-major, but I mean, yeah. still playing at Kentucky. I mean, start off with the undercard, Kansas-Kentucky. Kentucky struggling against Utah Valley before pulling out a 10-point win and against Vermont earlier today before we recorded this before pulling out a four-point win. Obvious growing pains. They're a young team. Now they're playing Kansas. You think they'll rise to the occasion, or you think this is going to be a Kansas victory? Obviously, it's easy to sit there and say, like, it's, you know, you think Kentucky's in trouble because they struggled with Vermont and Utah Valley. I think it's part of the issue is young guys getting up for games. Obviously, your first collegiate game you should be up and ready to go for. But when your opponent is Utah Valley, I believe they're the Wolverines, you know, it's really difficult 
it's really difficult to get going like that. That being said, this team has no idea who the hell they are. They don't know. They don't have any sort of identity. They don't know where they're playing in the offense, really. It's very free-flowing, but choppily so, because there's no consistency or continuity between anyone out there. They need some time to figure it out. Unfortunately, they get thrown into the fire here playing Kansas, who is quite the opposite. They've got guys who have played together before. They've got senior leaders that, you know, know their role and are able to bring their or pick their guys up. I think Kansas wins. I think it'll be a much better game for Kentucky than the first two, but I think the Jayhawks just have way too much. Devontae Graham is going to take over this game. There's going to be a sequence where he knocks off eight, ten points in a row, and Calipari's just sitting there having to call timeout because the dude's just red hot. But they have found consistent scoring from pretty much everyone in that first game. Granted, it was against Tennessee State, but that's the thing that a veteran team does better than a young team is they get everybody involved. Yeah, and Kansas only has to work a couple guys into, like you said, an already solid foundation. You've got the backcourt of Grand Vic, Ukraine maker, that have been there, and you're just adding in Malik Newman and Billy Preston, so it's much easier to do than assembling basically an entire roster from scratch. Nobody's played there really significantly except for one in Gabriel. And on top of that, outside of Quade Green, who's a pretty set point guard, and a guy like Nick Richards in the middle, these are a lot of guys who really don't have set positions. Um, They can kind of float anywhere between the two and the four, which – the finished product for Kentucky by the end of the season will be pretty scary. But right now, it's turned into a lot of undisciplined basketball. Um, the, the parts of Utah Valley and Vermont games I was watching, it was a lot of turnovers. Guys just didn't really know where they needed to be and also bad shot selection. Yeah. That'll obviously improve over time. And I think defensively, Kentucky is going to be really difficult to match up with. But right now... They're nowhere near where they're going to be. This will ultimately be a good game for them, um, help them grow. But Kansas is Kansas's floor right now is much much higher, and I think they're going to be able to to win this fairly comfortably. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think another big thing for Kentucky is. They don't have that go-to scorer like they had last season where you knew De'Aaron Fox was the guy that can get you points late or the go-to shooter. Right now it seems like Kevin Knox is trying to be that guy already, but he just can't find any consistency in his his offensive game. Yeah, and again, these guys have been collegiate players for two games. Um, So I know it's it's easy to to panic, but you know how much talent there is in that locker room and right. you know, things will, will figure themselves out to a degree. But, I mean, overall, as you said, SEC is tough. Florida is obviously a top-10 team. A&M, most impressive win in the short season, uh, dismantling West Virginia over in Germany. Yep. Um, so, you know, it, it certainly won't be an easy road for Kentucky. Um, Duke, Michigan State, number one, number two. Um, pretty pretty clear cut two most talented teams in the country. 
season is obviously just starting. This may be a very different looking matchup if these two teams were to meet in the final four later in the season. But right now, who do you think has the edge? I really like how Duke's starting five looks right now. Marvin Bagley is ridiculous. He makes plays on both ends of the floor. Obviously, they've got the veteran Grayson Allen. Duvall has been way better than I expected, especially hearing shaky things early from him. But, I mean, where where is a weak spot on this, this offense? And with Duvall just dishing the ball out like he is, Gary Trent's getting shots. Carter, I mean, they've got the depth on the bench. Granted, Michigan State's five is pretty darn good, too, but... I'm going to go Duke in a very, very close game. Uh, Miles Bridges and Nick Ward are too good to let this game get away from them. It will be up to Jaron Jackson, though, to make the difference for Michigan State. If he has a big game, that's where they win. Yeah, these rosters are just so loaded. For Michigan State, you look at that front court, and the starters are obviously very good, but then you have Ben Carter and Gavin Schilling, who missed all of last season. These are just guys that are in your front court, like now fourth and fifth members of that rotation, which is ridiculous to think about. And Duke's the same way. For Duke, this is kind of the roster and the look that we had thought and, you know, they had certainly hoped that they would have had at the start of last season. But injuries really took a toll. And now Giles and now Bolden, they weren't able to get acclimated working together until much, much later in the season. Right now, they're just a machine. And having Bagley, having Allen, too, I don't know if leadership is is the word uh, best suited for like his a, overall personality. Yeah, like a guided yeah. hand, though. Yeah, like a calming influence of sorts, yeah. um, someone who's at least been there before. So that's the thing that really differentiates them from a team like Kentucky, which really doesn't have that, um, just has the raw talents of all the freshmen. But Bagley might very well be the best player in America. I know Miles Bridges is right in that conversation as well. So this will be, I think, a much better game than Kansas-Kentucky, but I think Duke just has enough and will be able to, to pull this out. Yeah, I mean, this is... If you're looking for a reason to get into college basketball, this these two games are it. Kansas-Kentucky may be a little lesser than the Duke-MSU game, but, I mean, this this could easily be a Final Four right here. Yeah, you're still talking about a top-five matchup with right. Kansas-Kentucky, so it's right. not like they're just scraps um, trying to get on the level of, of Duke-Michigan State. The two teams right. that lose these games here they're not going to be totally despondent. They're still going to have very good seasons. Right. They'll be all, they'll be all right if they can uh, – they'll be all right despite the loss. Yeah. Um, but every season, this is kind of the, the unofficial starting point because up till this point, everybody in the top 25, with the exception of, you know, the, uh, the salute to service games, whatever uh, they're calling – what West Virginia and right. A&M did. This is the first real basketball game, so it's always doubly exciting. Um, and at 
the break in between those games, they'll reveal the new college football playoff top four, so it all ties together. Well, while, we're on that, while we're on that topic, um, with the losses of Georgia and Notre Dame, what is your top four now looking like? Yeah, Bama, obviously number one. I think I've had them there the entire time. I don't remember exactly, but I think I did. Uh, Oklahoma's two. Miami, I put up to three. I don't like Miami up there. Uh, it's more of a recency thing because of the big win against Notre Dame. I think they did more than Wisconsin did against Iowa. And as much as I would love to put Auburn at three, I just can't. So Miami is three, and Clemson stays at four despite a lackluster performance against Florida State. Yeah, so far uh, I've been compiling everybody's top four um, to get for the site, as I do every week. Um, everyone so far except me and one other person is at Alabama, Oklahoma, as one and two, um, which I found very interesting. I have Alabama at one. Um, I mean, I think they've been the best team all season. Wisconsin moving up from number three to number two, that dominating win over Iowa. We've got Miami moving up to number three. They may very well be a good football team. The last two weeks have shown me. And then at number four, we've got Oklahoma. I think they have a definite edge over Clemson. They quote-unquote quality loss to Iowa State versus losing to Syracuse. And, I mean, Baker Mayfield has just looked better than any other player in college football. It's kind of like last season where people were clamoring for Penn State and USC to get in because of how good McSorley-Barkley duo looked and how good Sam Darnold was. This year there's merit behind Oklahoma getting in there, and it just helps them, fuels their fire even more that uh, they've got Baker Mayfield back there. Yeah, now that uh, Notre Dame looks like they're pretty much out of the picture, it looks more and more like, and with Georgia losing, it looks more and more like there will be four conference, conference champions with Pac-12 out of the picture. It looks like could be one from each. I think the SEC is really the only conference that could put two in there because with Alabama, you also have Georgia still only with one loss, and really they could end up still being in the top four this week because they were at number one. And then Auburn is going to be right there as well. So they could end up with, with two teams in there. I would say um, Big Ten probably has the best chance of getting shut out um, yeah. outside of the Pac-12, but Wisconsin and then long shot Ohio State could still work their way back in there. Still a lot left to happen, but I thought there'd be clarity like, after this week. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think we we had more clarity last week than yes. we do now. Big time. Which I feel like always seems to happen. Right. Whenever the uh the rankings are, are revealed initially, I feel like everybody's just assuming, all right, these teams are just gonna win out and we're gonna be set. Never happens like that. Nope, never does, for whatever reason. <laughs> Yeah, um, so that's it for this week. Um, shorter show because we did not have just 
back-to-back weeks of crazy ranked right. matchups in college football. Um, any last words? Two. Two little bits. One is a, a fact. I, or Army football, first undefeated season at home since 1996. 8-2 right now. Shout out the Black Knights. And Wednesday, the showdown of the show. Indiana heads to Newark. Feeling, How do you feel about feeling, that one? Feeling so much, so much <laughs> worse. Um, I mean, it's going to be just watching the game tonight, the season opener against Howard. Um, and there's there's going to be a lot of production from the freshmen this year. Al Durham and Justin Smith basically have half of IU's points. It seems like Archie has revamped the defense, not so much the offense, and it hurts that the guys lost from last year, Blackman and Bryant, the two best offensive players, and then OG could have been if he wanted to be. Jawan Morgan's also hurt right now, so yeah, could be uh, could be pretty ugly on Wednesday. Yeah, Delgado went for 17 and 11 today. Granted, it was against Monmouth, but Miles Powell is going to drop 20. I think it's it's going to be a fun one. I'm very excited for this. Very upset I can't watch, but yeah, I'm gonna, I'm probably going to miss it too because it's tipping so early. Yeah, ridiculous, ridiculous. But hey, Gavit games are back, folks. Yeah, the the best. The best interconference um, challenge, I guess, of Hands the year. Hands down. Hands yeah. down. <laughs> what everyone's saying. Yep. We loaded up our tailgate, joined the convoy on the freeway, headed north to see them Buckeyes in Notre Dame. Victory for USC. Corso and Herb Street got the low down on the rivalries. You're up in your chest trap, you're